Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Boy, if you're here for the first time, one of the first times, thanks for coming. I know sometimes it's hard to step into a newer place. If you're joining us online, I thank you for doing that too. So um, we had a chance to uh, dedicate Roman today, Kenny and Candy, and you saw Lindsay Harms up here. She's the director of our kids' ministry. She has a great job um, kind of just raising up this next generation. She has a team of people. But, you know, once in a while, she'll get pretty honest with me and say, you know, Andy, some days it, it doesn't go well. Sometimes these kids are not real responsive. And, and she had some of North Point's best, and she was trying to teach them and a profound lesson. And, and this is the picture she got when she was trying to teach them. Look at those kids, not even listening. No, I'm not listening to you. Okay, that picture was staged. It really didn't happen. But what was your first response when you saw that? Just to laugh, isn't it? It's kind of cute, isn't it? The kids, "Ah, I'm not listening to you. But if you've been a parent or you've been somewhere in authority and the kid keeps doing that, it doesn't become, it's not funny too long. Where it becomes kind of aggravating and makes you angry and makes you want to take measures to stop with the intentional ignoring of you. You know we can do that to God? Mm, I'm not listening. I'm going to pretend you're not here. How does God respond when we decide we want to ignore him? We're going to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Psalm 2. We're going to go all the way through this uh, psalm, wrestling with that question. How does God respond to our attempts to ignore him? As you're turning there, know this is a psalm that most scholars think was written when a new king was coronated. Um, When we were in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel, David wanted to build a a temple for God, and God said, no, I'm going to build a house for you, and there's always going to be someone of your line on the throne of Judah. And so most scholars think that this was read when one of the line of David was coronated as king. And we'll see why in just a minute. So let's start with verse 1. It says this, uh, why are the nations in an uproar? I mean, they're agitated, they're upset, they're aggravated, they're ticked. What, what's going on? Well, before we find out, in verse 2, we, it says, and the people's devising a vain thing. So they, they got a plan, but... We already know it's, it's vain. It's not going to work out. So they're fired up. They're getting a plan together. Well, what's going on? What's, what's the plan? What's, what's well, uh, the kings of the earth take their stand. So kings, plural. And the rulers take counsel together. To do what? Well, verse 2. Against the Lord and against his anointed. So they are c- coming together. And they're going to take on God and God's people. Here's what they say in verse 3. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So the people of God, the fetters and the cords are usually what ties animals to things. So they're talking about the cords and fetters that would tie God to his people. We want to get rid of that. We want to get rid of that. Why? Because we want to get rid of all reminder of God. We want to do our own thing. We want to, that, that, that's the sin in the garden. Adam and Eve said, no, we'll do it our way. The New Testament refers to the world that is a system intentionally 
designed to get rid of God. So guess what? If you claim to represent God and you live out his values, there's at least a part of this world that wants to do away with you. And, and that's what they're doing here. The world understood God's hand was on Israel. He brought him through the Red Sea, brought him out of Egypt, it, 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 part of the Jordan River. We got it. We want to get rid of these folk. Because we, humanity wants to run on their own. That hasn't changed. And if you're here, wanting to represent God, you will run into opposition. My word would be to you, don't take it personally. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with who you represent. So before we moved here, we lived in Arizona. Down in Arizona, you did not need an education degree. You only needed a college degree to be a substitute teacher. Town of 50,000, it was not uh, automated and computerized. There was a person in charge. She met me, and I was 40 years old at the time, and she thought, you're going to be in middle school, dude. So I think 80%, I subbed for two and a half years, 80 to 85% of the time, I was with middle school students. How many of you remember middle school and a substitute teacher? <laughs> what was that like? Man, you want to... And I, I knew I'd go and I better strap it on. But I always remembered, this isn't personal. This isn't about me. You could put anybody in that position, and they're going to take them on. So it is. When people come after you for following them, it's not you. It's who you represent. So we've seen the plan of the kings of the earth. They're coming together, and they want to take out Israel, because Israel represents God and the purposes of God. Well, verse 4, then the scene shifts to the heavens, and it focuses on God. It says this, he who sits in the heavens laughs. What did you do when you saw that picture? You laughed. So when the kings come together and they think, you know what God does initially? He laughs. Seriously. Seriously. Then the Lord scoffs at them. Then, there's a progression here, he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. If you're a parent, you understand that. At first, it's kind of funny when you're getting, no, 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 I'm not listening. But the longer that goes, the madder you get, and this is going to stop. That's what we got going on here. God said, no, no, it's not funny anymore. It's moving to anger and fury. Here's what he says. But it's for me. This is God. I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I put king in, in Zion. That's Jerusalem. That's where I live. And seriously, seriously, you think you're going to take me and my king out? Ain't happening. What's going on here? There's a power play going on. Two people want to be in control. God and humanity. And humanity's attitude says, God, no, 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 I'm not listening. God said, no, that, that's not gonna, that's not gonna hold. I'm gonna deal with that. We gotta figure out he's in control. Then the world can run as he designed. About three or four years ago, ESPN came out with a kind of a documentary on Michael Jordan, supposedly focusing on his last few years in the NBA, but really it was an expose. He was a famous basketball player. 
National Basketball Association. Well, well one thing they focused on, or they, they highlighted, was he was a part of the 1992, what was called the Dream Team. For the first time in history in 1992, NBA players, National Basketball Association players, professional players, were going to be allowed to play in the Olympics. And it was a foregone conclusion that the Dream Team would win, and in fact, they did. They weren't even challenged. But where the thing almost came apart as Magic Johnson, who's another player on that team, describes us, was one practice and one scrimmage. Magic said we were five on five. I think Larry Bird was sitting out, and a couple other guys were sitting out. And he said, again, you got the best players in the world, and everyone thinks, I'm it. It's five on five, and it's getting intense, and the talking's ratcheting up, and, and he said, all of a sudden, Michael Jordan took over. And he would come down, and he would call his shot, and he would hit it. And he'd back up, and maybe they'd make it, maybe they don't. He comes down, he calls his shot again. He said, Michael Jordan began to set himself apart. And there was talk and trash talk in the whole way. He said, we got in the bus, and nobody said a thing. Everybody was ticked. Why? Because they wanted to be the man. And they, they were feeling it. And Magic said, I'm sitting next to Charles Barkley. And we're driving along, and I say to Barkley, well, I guess we shouldn't have made Michael mad. And the bus broke up in laughter, and everybody recognized, there's one who's the best player in the NBA. Once we established that, we were good as a team. And he said, you know, Gordon would say after practice, he'd say, hey, fellas, there's a new sheriff in town. Magic would say, well, he ain't lying. Once we established who was in charge, we had a great time as a team. Who was the best? Well, that's what we're looking at here. Who's in charge? Who is in charge of our world? God or humanity? We don't get that figured out. We're going to be living in conflict. That's what's going on here. They want to get rid of all remnant, all evidence of God. So, we then shift to the king who has been coronated in verse 7. He speaks now. Here's what he says. This is the Davidic king. He says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, so this is the king who's been installed, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That is a powerful word in the New Testament. We recognize it in John 3.16, for God gave his only begotten son. Begotten means pertaining to being one of a kind of his class, unique in kind. There's one. This is a divine installation of a human king. And he is going to have access to God's, all God's authority and power. So this king is going to have the nations coming for him. And here's what God says to him in verse 8. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. These ones that oppose you, they will submit to you. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. Again, this king was not divine, but it was a divine installation with unique access to God and his authority. This word begotten is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He is divine. He is unique. He is one of a class. And this word is picked up all through the New Testament. Let me give you one example. The book of Hebrews is in our argument for the greatness of God. It says he's greater than angels, and he's greater than Moses, and he's the greatest of the high priest. 
Israel had a high priest who offered sacrifice, but he had to offer his own sacrifice. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying there's, there's no more need for a high priest because Jesus is the ultimate high priest. But this is what he says about Jesus in Hebrews 5, verse 5, arguing for him as the ultimate priest. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. So Christ didn't appoint himself. God the Father did. But he, the Father, who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. There's our word. And you'll see it in Hebrews, you'll see it in other places. This Jesus, he's the ultimate in being unique, in one of a kind. And specifically in this verse, when it comes to be the high priest, he's the one that we've all been pointing to. The whole Old Testament has been pointing to him. No more sacrifices needed because he is the perfect high priest who offered the perfect sacrifice. Verse 9, as we return to our passage, a little hard to translate. Here's what it says. Again, this is the king speaking to those who oppose God. It says, you shall, break, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. And so most scholars think this is a, a word to these subjugated nations. You're going to have two options. You can serve Almighty God or you can be shattered by him. You can be destroyed by him. You, you, man, you, you, got, you, had, you, you got to get together, you know, all the kings, all the power brokers on earth, and you, you, you're going you're to oppose God, you, you're going to lose. You're going to lose on this one, and when you lose, you're going to have two choices. Just so you know, when you live, you've got two choices. You can submit to him, or you can be shattered by him. So in the first three verses, we've seen the kings of the world coming together. Verses 4 through 6, we've seen God in the heavens. Verses 7 through 9, we've seen the, the coronated king speaking of the unique access he has because of a divine installation. Now in verses 10 through 12, it's a narrator who's going to just kind of sum things up for us. He says, now therefore, O kings, remember these are the kings that we're going to overthrow God, I want you to show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. You're, you're the judges, you call the shots, but you, you need to take warning. You, your authority is limited. Here's what you need to do. You, want, you need to worship the Lord with reverence. Second, uh, rejoice with trembling. Again, you're, you, you rejoice before him, but, but you have a, a fear because you know who he is. Third, do homage to the son that he might not become angry and you perish in the way. I mean, you were going to overthrow this king. No, 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 you, you, need, to, you need to do 180. You need to, you need to do homage to him. Why? For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So those kings have a choice, and you and I have a choice. We can oppose him, or we can take refuge in heaven. There's no middle ground. See, we started uh, asking this question, how does God respond to our attempts to ignore him? And we're seeing an attempt right here in Psalm 2. Here's what, here's what I'd say. God laughs at, then destroys our attempt to ignore him. Really? You think you're going to ignore God? God laughs at, then he destroys our attempt to ignore him. Let's talk about the Davidic kings being coronated because in 586 B.C., Jerusalem and Judah were overthrown. What about the kings there? Well, the focus here is not ultimately on the kings of Israel. It's on the purposes of God. The people of Israel started to disobey God. They, they did this. They just, I'm not listening. And finally God said, I'm, I'm going to break that. And they were a subjugated people. And they were up until the time of Jesus for the most part. 
But the purposes of God didn't stop with the nation of Israel. God can move his purposes forward in any way. And they were a weakened people, but that didn't stop the purposes of God from going forward. Then when Jesus came, the purposes of God were fully put on him. And Jesus didn't come, if you'll excuse the language, kicking butt and taking names. He, he served people. He gave his life for people. But, you know, before he did, right before he, he was arrested, um, they came to arrest him and Jesus said, who are you looking for? Well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And, and he said, I am. And you see that in John 19, he just laid people out. Just so you know, guys, I could walk on this thing if I wanted to. But I've chosen to give my life. The purposes of God went forward and are going forward in weakness. But they will triumph. Psalm 2 is, is quoted throughout the New Testament. No more is it quoted than in the book of Revelation. That story of seven churches who are under persecution from the Roman Empire. And they are being crushed. They have no resources. They have nothing. But in the end, God said, I'm going to win this story. You look around and say, man, Andy, I'm not seeing any triumphant. The purposes of God are still going forward. They're not limited to a king or a person. God is sovereign. I uh, grew up playing chess in middle school. And I was watching uh, this one match between two guys. And, and the guy that was playing was pretty good. And I thought, man, your, your, your rook is exposed. So I said to him, dude, your rook, your rook. And he goes, I know. Three moves, and he'll be in checkmate. If he takes my rook with his queen, which the guy did, three moves, I'll put him in checkmate. So you know what the opponent did? Took the rook, bang, 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 checkmate, game over. From a position of weakness, this guy showed strength. That's, that's the sovereign God and his purposes going forward. Now, we've titled this series, Hope Again. I think I'm going to do seven or eight psalms total in it. There's 150. Why pick Psalm 2? I'll admit, I had a reason for picking Psalm 2. I don't know if you know it. If not, let me be the first to tell you. Fifteen months from now, there's a presidential election. People are all getting fired up about who's going to win and who's it going to be. And you know what? You've got your politics and I've got mine. But God will not be thrown by who wins and who loses this election. And nothing, it seems to me, causes Christians to lose hope, not hope again, but hope lost, than getting tied up, caught up in politics. All this happened to and then we saw in David, the character of a leader matters. So I don't want to understate that. The nation went into a civil war because of David's failings. That's true. But God is still sovereign. No matter who wins and who loses. Don't lose hope because of politics and an election. All right, here's what I'm saying. Okay, here I go. I'm going to make a prediction for the next election. You guys ready? For 15 months from now, I'm going to make a prediction. You guys, Dave, you ready for this? I'm going to make a prediction. Rourke, you ready for this? I'm make a prediction. Okay, here we go. So here's my prediction. No matter which candidate wins, no matter which party's in control, there will be a group of Christians who will say, oh, Jesus has got to be coming back because of what happened in the election. <laughs> oh, is Jesus coming back? Here's my answer to that. Probably not. 
And if he does, it will have nothing to do with the election. I, I promise you election night, the Father, Son, and Spirit will not call an emergency meeting and go, oh my word, Jesus, you got to go back now. I mean, we were going 200 years, but you got to go back now. Don't let politics and an election cause you to lose hope. Psalm 2 says God is sovereign in this process. May I add something that, in my opinion, throws gas on the political fire is people who get up, caught up watching in network news. They'll say to me, Andy, so-and-so said if this happens and that, then this is going to happen. And I want to say they don't know. They're speculating. They're guessing. And they are speculating in a way to get you all fired up so you will come back and keep watching their channel so they can make more money in the ratings. Don't get sucked in. They don't know. And if your intake of news is causing you to get all worked up, stop. They don't know. But they need you worked up so you keep coming back so they can get greater ratings. God is sovereign over the political process. So I want to leave the kings out there and talk about the kingship issues in here. I'm talking your heart and my heart. Are there areas of your life where you're your own king? This, this, and this, but my kids, they're mine. No, 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 no. They're God's kids. My job, my career, that's mine, and I, I do what I No, 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 no. That's not okay. Don't, don't be going like, blah, 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 on your job or your kids or your money or your marriage or, or whatever. Is there an area or areas in your life where you are your own king? God laughs. He's a little amused. But turns to anger and fury. He'll break that. Don't go that way. Read it again. Verses 11 and 12. You, you got some choices. Here's what he's suggesting. Uh, worship. Rejoice with trembling. And do homage in those areas of your life. Take refuge in God rather than having God break your stubbornness. So when I went to school at Texas A&M, dorms were segregated. Male and female. And the deal was, from Sunday to Thursday, the opposite sex could visit from 10 in the morning to 10 at night. Friday and Saturday, it was 10 in the morning to 1.30 in the morning. And we thought, you know what? By golly, we're, the age was 18. We're adults. We can call our own shots. We can handle this. So, so there was a vote in the dorms. We want to extend visiting hours on the weekend to 24 hours, just Friday and Saturday, no rules. Sunday, it's back on 10 to 10. So there was a movement in the dorms. There was a vote. And then the, the dorm council got together. It was unanimous. And so the president of the dorm took it to the, the head of housing on that side of the, 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 the campus. And he looked at it. And he read it. And he said, nope, nope wait a minute, we just had a vote and we just had a thing in the dorm council. You exceeded your authority. You didn't have authority. To, I mean, you got authority to decide where you want to have a, 
social and you can authority decide, authority decide what week you want to do Aston week and what do you want to do with your you got that but you don't have this kind of authority you understand we got limited authority and our authority God says there's limits I have the final say let's not get caught up and no, 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 I'm not listening God will break that how does God respond to our attempts to ignore him first he laughs then he crushes our attempt to ignore him. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful, um, challenged by your word, because we've all got stuff, and we're part of a, a race, a humanity that wants to ignore you, rebel, push back against you. You think it's kind of funny? But then there's fury, and then there's anger. But we don't want to go there. Would we be people that would submit to you, would find refuge in you, would find that you're a good God and that fullness of life really is in you. We thank you that Jesus is your begotten, one of a kind, unique in class, who has paved the way for us to live in right relationship with you, submitted to you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.